If keep your place, if you would, at Galatians chapter 3, but turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If you have a Bible, there's one in front of you there that you can actually look at. Uh, the Gideons give us some King James Bibles. And I don't mind, uh, uh, you know, looking at a couple more places besides just one place. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 kind of gives us a little more understanding of our theme for the year, Always Abounding. And uh, there will be a banner next week up here, uh, a little bit behind on that. I'm sorry, it's my fault. Uh, but it will be up there to kind of remind us that this year's uh, theme is always abounding. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Keep your place there in Galatians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a moment. But I want you to look at verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is powerful. It's actually, it's actually presenting to us the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. And so he's emphasizing the gospel, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you get that? Well, the next verse says, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received. So he's basically saying that I got this someplace else beside and come up with this. This is, and the gospel is not something that, that man came up with. The gospel came down from above. And, and Paul was actually uh, given the responsibility of the churches and so on. But he spent an incredible amount of time alone with the Lord, and he declared things unto him. Uh, he declared unto him, of course, we talk about the Lord's Supper. I declared this unto you uh, because I first got it from the Lord. He's saying that here. Uh, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, and how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so he's giving us an element of the understanding of the gospel. That we know that Jesus Christ was crucified. Um, he did die. He was buried and put in the ground for, in a tomb for three days and three nights. But he was resurrected. And so we're here this morning because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there was no resurrection, we wouldn't be here. We would probably just be involved with our own lives and, and, and then dying and whatever happens to us happens to us. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're here. But because of the resurrection, we are here. He goes further in this particular passage and brings out the understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of the resurrection. And he's giving us this little by little as we see. And then we go back down to verse number 52. Uh, he's, he's showing us that there's going to be a resurrection. Verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall... Uh, uh, it says the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So the Bible's actually giving us uh, the word changed here twice, 51 and 52, changed. For this corruptible, my body, my human body, must put on incorruption, it must be a change. And this mortal must put on incorruptible. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? And let me just share this with you that the fear of death and the sting of death has been taken away through Jesus Christ. And up to this point, they're always afraid of dying. 
uh, and, and maybe uh, you are afraid of dying. Um, sometimes you'll say, well, I, I just don't really, it doesn't matter if I die, I just want to know how it's going to happen. You know, is it going to happen in a car accident, or is it going to happen through disease or whatever? And really that's in the hands of our God, isn't it? Uh, and so he, he has the keys to both heaven and hell, uh, the, the grave and so on. We know that. We shouldn't uh, indulge in any idea that we can actually take our own lives. Uh, that's in, in God's hand. And uh, I think life to us is more abundant when we trust Christ with our life. And it becomes more full and, and more powerful as we understand a little bit more concerning the gospel. So that's what he's talking about here, that the sting and the fear of death has been removed. Um, I, I give this illustration at funerals where uh, if I had a wasp and I showed it to you, I had a little jar, you know, and I, and I, and I kind of made it mad and it was buzzing in there, and then I let it go in here, even the men would scream. You know, uh, get it out of here. You know, I don't want that around me. But if I, if I actually open the jar up and I take that little wasp and I take a tweezers and I pull the stinger out of it and then I actually let it go, it's like, whatever. It's not going to scare me. It's just a wasp without a stinger. Well, that's what Jesus has done for death. And so he's taken and removed the sting. You actually fall asleep and then you're in his presence. You cross over. Uh, if you're a born-again believer, uh, we understand this gives us a little bit more of an understanding, a little more powerful concerning our own lives. And this is what Paul is writing. He begins with the gospel, and now he's giving us this understanding concerning death, and the sting is gone. Look at verse 56 uh, of chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can look at them with me. It says, the sting of death is sin, and the, and the, strength, of, the strength of sin is the law. So the law is actually showing us that we are sinners uh, someone asked me last, last week at the, at the door, they were visitors, and they were wanting to know a little bit more about the, the, the commandments and so on, which one was important. And I said, listen, they're all important, uh, but they're all a schoolmaster, okay? They actually are a school teacher to help us learn that we cannot keep the law fully, uh, that we're under that curse of sin. The law reveals that to us. And then, of course, we understand our need for Jesus Christ then. Because if, if my goodness can't save me, I need Jesus Christ and his goodness. I need his righteousness. And so his righteousness then is given to me through faith by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes sense? I hope it does. Because it is very, very important that you understand that you need to be born again, born from above, born spiritually. You had an earth birth. That's obvious. You're breathing uh, but now you need a spiritual birth. And if you don't have a spiritual birth, you can't go to heaven. It's just the way it is. It's not if you go through catechism or you baptize as a baby and so on. It's, it, it's really important that you understand that you need a spiritual birth. And he's been pulling at you and tugging at you all of these years. He has not let you go because he loves you. I remember my grandma sitting on a pier at the age of 12 years old. She said she put her feet in the water. Good Catholic lady. Uh, as a girl, she grew up in a Catholic home. And, uh, and I remember her saying, though, that she felt like God was there. The sun was shining. It was like God was telling her, I'm going to be with you. And at the age of 29, my grandma McCluskey came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. She was a good Catholic, but she was lost. She understood that there was a God, but she was lost. 
You need to receive Christ. This is what he's talking about here in order for there to be a resurrection uh, or, or you to be resurrected. So look what it says. And by the way, this understanding then gives us an idea uh, and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, then, Paul goes further and says, this is what I want you to know. Look what it says in verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 58. Therefore, because we have victory in Christ, because Jesus has taken the sting away, because we now then can be resurrected and go to be with Christ, therefore, because of that, it says, my beloved brethren, whom I love with all my heart, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you see that? Do you understand why he's writing that? Okay, since we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and since we have been made alive through Christ, and since we are going to fall asleep someday and enter into the presence immediately, absent from the body, present with the Lord, because of that, remain steadfast. Remain unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 3 with me, and I want to just begin the message a little bit with that understanding, and I hope I'm not boring you this morning. And if I am, just bear with me, because it'll get a little better as I go. It's important for us to know that there is a need for us to be uh, staying close to God and staying, and staying true to the Scriptures. And, and I, I think it, you know, the, the whole topic on this is that we would be steadfast in the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to get to. So... Uh, so it is the Spirit of God that actually lives within us. We've been born again. We've been partakers of the divine Spirit. The Spirit and since the Spirit of God then lives within us, we are quickened and made alive through the Spirit of God. Okay? What's happening to the church at Galatia, and by the way, we're going to read here in verse number one who this letter is to. But it's interesting as he's actually re- reading or, or, or writing to the church at Galatia, and we think he's writing to a small city. Well, Galatia was a region of people, so there was more, there was, you know, it's like, it's like, um, oh, you foolish Americans. There are a lot of cities going on, right? And so it's a lot of regions, a lot of counties, a lot of places. So uh, he, he's actually writing to the Galatia because there had been some false doctrines coming in. And he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians. Look at verse number one, number one if you would, of uh, Galatians chapter three. It says, oh, foolish Galatians. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before as whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? He's saying, who has foolishly led you astray? And you have departed from the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel. I think if we're talking about that, it's hard to accept when somebody changes from or moves from certain positions uh, I think it, 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 it bothers us when somebody was one way one time and now they're another way. It's hard for us to accept when someone who has, uh, let's just use America for an illustration, if somebody who used to fight for America uh, that was actually for what America's for and uh, the American experiment, if you would, or the American policies of being able to have a land where there can be the religious freedoms that we have, uh, and we are blessed to be called Americans. 
We really are. We're blessed to live in a country where we have the freedom of guys that can get up and preach and so on. And, and this is a whole woke idea. And by the way, I'm not going to give in to the LBGT crowd. I'm not giving in to the woke crowd. I believe what the truth of the word of God says. And if they're going to come to me and redefine things, I'm going to stop them in their tracks and say, I'm not accepting that. That's not true. And we ought to be able to, with our voice, and by the way, if there's a problem with our country, it is because of the salt and the light not being what it should be. That's us, okay? The illuminator, the light, of course, and the preserver, if you would, the salt, if we're not what we're supposed to be, then we have a culture that actually begins to think on their own, gets into mysticism, and gets into all kinds of weird thinking and theologies and all kinds of different problems, I think about how that there is, in the past, been people who have turned from America. I think I was going to read to you a little bit of an article that I read a while back, faced with financial ruin and uncertain of future promotions and disgusted with the, the congregational politics. Benedict Arnold, he's born in 1741, actually died in 1801, made a fateful decision. Remember reading about Benedict Arnold. The article goes on to say he would seek fortune and fame in the service of Great Britain rather than America. With cool calculations, he initiated correspondence with Sir Henry Clinton and the British commander, promising to deliver West Point and 3,000 defenders for 20,000 sterlings, which would be about a million dollars he sold out. Momentous act, this, this act actually that he hoped would spark the collapse of the American cause, persuaded Washington to place the fort under his command. Arnold, of course, moved in September 1780 to execute his plan, only to see it fail when Andre was captured, as Andre was then executed as a spy, and Arnold received 6000 for the British government and appointed as the Brigadier General. But in the end, Benedict Arnold's moral failure lay not in his disenchantment with the American cause, for many other officers returned to civilian life disgusted with the decline in the Republic virtue and angry over their failure to win the guaranteed pensions from Congress. Nor did his infamy stem from his transfer of allegiance to the British side, for other patriots chose to become loyalists, sometimes out of principle, but just as often for personal gain. The article goes on to say that Arnold's betrayal lay in the abuse of his position and authority and trust. He would betray West Point and its garrison, and if necessary, the entire American war effort to secure his own success. His treason was not that of a, the principled man, but of a selfish person. He never lived that down. Hated in America as a consort of Beelzebub, it says, of the devil himself. Arnold was treated with a coldness, even in contempt, by those that were in, Brit 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 were in Britain, Great Britain. He died and lived, he died as he lived, without anything, without a country, and without money. I think about modern-day betrayal when it comes to our country. I think of an incident that took place March 27, 2003. I read an article by Deanna Stillman. She reported on Thursday, March 27th. At 2.39 p.m., she wrote this, Eastern Time. 
She said that the most disturbing story of the war of our day so far is the fragging at Camp Pennsylvania in Kuwait. Might, be, might remember this, uh, hearing about this in the news. According to the news reports, on March 3rd, 2003, Thar- Sergeant Hassan Akbar rolled a grenade into each of three tents of sleeping officers and senior NCO officers of the 101st Airborne Division. Then he allegedly shot the soldiers with an automatic weapon as they fled from their tents. But guess what? He was wearing an American uniform when he did this. Two of them, a major and a captain, died that day. Fourteen also were injured. The episode is unsettling for a number of reasons, she wrote. Most of all, because it exposes the fact of our military and commanders have tried the best to ignore the presence of radical anti-American Muslims into the rank. And we're still doing that. Akbar, a, a, a convert of Islam, reported, uh, reportedly said that when he was captured, you guys are actually coming into our country and killing our people, raping our women, taking our children. It's increasingly clear that there's a small group of soldiers for whom anti-Americans uh, fatwas, that's the laws of the Islamic people, used in mosques around the world to supersede the oath and the loyalty that they took when they actually entered into the military. There has been people that actually have been, if you would be, traitors. And they have shifted their beliefs and their understandings away from America. You say, why do you bring that all up? Because I think loyalty is missing today. I think loyalty is missing when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the loyalty to, to, to what God, Jesus Christ has said, the, the loyalty to God himself. And how loyal are you to God? How loyal are you to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How loyal are you to the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you that it bothered the Apostle Paul that some would depart it's interesting as we think about the thing of being loyal. I was yesterday, we were at a conference and we were talking about uh, being loyal uh, in a ministry to the ministry and to the cause of Christ. And I think he was talking about, oh, it was an illustration he used by um, evangelist Bud Robinson. It was called the wagon um, and the briar patch and how a bunch of guys were probably bailing hay, and they had a wagon there, and it had a hill, and so they all jumped on the wagon, and they all made this pack that they're going to stay on the wagon. We'll just stay on this wagon. We'll go down the hill. They lifted the tongue up so they could steer it somewhat, try to, and they were going to go down the hill, and we're going to stay to this cause, and we're going to be loyal. We're going to go all the way. No matter how bumpy it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, I'm going to stay on this wagon. So they pushed it. They jumped on it. And they were just flopping all around. Pretty soon they came to this huge briar patch. And before they got there, a couple of men jumped off. And how this man years ago used that illustration that that's what's going on today because life is getting a little hard. It's getting a little difficult because of all the cancellations, because of the COVID, because of who's in the White House, because of all these things that actually were having men who were once loyal to the cause of Christ. Selling out. 
Selling out to the woke side, selling out to all of this LBGT stuff and whatever it is, the alphabet stuff. And selling out and saying, we got to be more sensitive and we got to do, listen to me, lives are at stake. And the only way that someone can actually be saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ, period. Are you loyal to this? Oh, foolish Galatians. What have you done? It's interesting as we think about it because the Bible tells us in verse number three, are you so foolish? Have you begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verses three and four, it says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But the Bible's telling us that we ought to remember that without Christ, we are condemned. There is there now, therefore, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. To those that are not in Christ Jesus, there's condemnation. If you feel guilt and shame and discouragement and woe in your heart, Remember this, even as a Christian, you're going, to have, you're going to struggle in your walk with God. You're going to say, you know, like Paul, why do I do the things I shouldn't? Why can't I do the things I should do? And who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh? But it doesn't end there. He says, therefore, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And the emphasis of walking in the Spirit and letting him guide you and protect you and give you power. Without the Spirit of God, we would be cursed without the Spirit of God. Remember this, to stay steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the Spirit. I must actually live my life. Listen, the Spirit of God saved you. You you began to hear somebody like me preaching the gospel, and you said, wow, I never heard it like that before. And the Spirit of God is whispering in your ear, you are condemned without Christ. Not just the speaker speaking, but the Spirit of God is showing you that you need Jesus Christ. You've got to change your life. You're going in the wrong direction. Your end is doomed without Jesus. The Spirit of God is doing that. And a lot of people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit calling them. And that Spirit sensitivity... Saved by the Spirit. And then once you come to Christ, that he's, you're sanctified by the Spirit. You understand that? When I talk about sanctification, we are positionally sanctified in Christ, but we are also progressionally sanctified as the Spirit of God works within our life. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has led me to Christ and led me to the place of getting on my knees and saying, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me. I open the door of my heart. I'm a wretched man without you, Lord. I am doomed without you. So I open my heart and Jesus Christ comes in. But he comes in to stay. And he abides. And he continues. And every time I do something wrong, he says, that was not right, Dean. You shouldn't be thinking that way. You shouldn't be doing that. And then little by little, from the time of eight years old, now I'm 61, he's been showing me how to be conformed to the image of his dear son, like Jesus Christ. He's my model. It's not so-and-so, it is Jesus Christ. What would Jesus do? That great book, 1896, in his steps. 50 million copies have been sold. What, What a blessing to have him as my model. 
And I hope you understand that the Holy Spirit will convict you at times as a born-again individual that you shouldn't be doing that. But the first step is then to come to Christ. And then he'll sanctify you, his spirit. But his spirit also will send us forth. He'll send us out. He'll prompt us to talk to somebody. It's his spirit moving in my Well, I don't know what possessed me to come up to you and talk to you today. But I believe God wanted me to do that. How are you doing? Are, are, you, are you struggling with your walk with God? You see, sometimes we're prompted by the Spirit of God, but we say no to the Spirit of God. We say no to him. We stiff arm him. And we say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Boy, let me tell you something that's missing in Christianity. is just plain old humility and abiding in the Spirit of God. Oh, foolish Galatians. You think you can start out in the Spirit and then you now go over to the flesh? Think you can return back to the things of this world? You think you can actually change back to the religious laws of the community rather than the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ? I want you to look at this with me, if you would. I think, first of all, there's that honest rebuke that comes out of this passage. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Pretty strong verbiage to me, you know, talking about foolish. He actually called them unintellectual. I don't like to be called that. You are just an unintellectual person. I wouldn't like to be called that. But the word foolish here has the word uh, also involved with it, if you would, from the, the Greek language. The word foolish here is talking about someone who is sensual, someone who is actually moved by emotion and feeling. Someone who is actually taken away from the truth of the word of God because of difficult, because you're getting to the briars, because things are getting a little rough, you would leave that because you want to feel better. Easily led away, that word foolish involves unintellectual, sensual, easily led away. Barnes says it this way, oh, foolish Galatians. He says, that is foolish for having yielded to the influence of false teachers and for having embracing doctrines that tended to subvert the gospel of the Redeemer. The original word here used denotes void of understanding. And they had shown it in a remarkable manner in rejecting the doctrine of the apostles and embracing the errors into which they had fallen. He says, it in it is implied that they were without stability of character and that the particular thing to which Paul refers here is that they were so easily led astray by the arguments of the false teachers that are out there. We have false teachers today everywhere. Everybody's a, a, a Bible guru, especially to the crowd who smokes pot and drinks all the time. Seriously. If you know a bunch of guys drinking and that are, that are sitting someplace with all kinds of their philosophies or sitting in the corner someplace, go talk to them because they know everything about the Bible. And they're foolish. They're foolish because they are they're only prideful as long as someone can listen to them. They're, they get their audience and they say, I know everything. But it's interesting if we look at the passage because Paul cared for them and was afraid for them. It was an honest rebuke that he said, oh, foolish Galatians. I wish someone would say, oh, foolish Americans. Look what you had. 
And look what you forfeited because of your own lifestyle. And I wouldn't speak to the lost people because Jesus Christ came not to condemn the world, but that the whole world would be saved. I would gather the Christians and say, what have we done? Have we sold out? If we sold out for a full auditorium, well, look, at everything's full. We got a band on the platform and everything's fine now. No, it's not. Because nine times out of ten, that person will walk out of that auditorium never changed. Only emotionally moved. And that's what we live like. We live with our intellect and our emotion and our wills are so stubborn and our wills remain untouched by the hand of God. Because we want to live with our emotions and our intellect alone. Well, Christianity goes further than the emotion and the intellect. It goes right to the heart, right to the will. In fact, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 9 says this, But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again back to the weak and the beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, or I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you my labor in vain. Why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to be justified by your own righteousness? And why would you think just because the way you dress and just because the way you act, you're going to heaven? You're going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Not because of your own righteousness. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag before our God. You can't be pure enough. You never have been and you never will. Only through Jesus Christ can you say that you're a believer or a Christian or that you are cleansed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through the subtlety, that's trickery or craftiness, so that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. For if he hath opened or preached another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which we have not accepted, you might well bear or put up with him. And what the Bible's basically telling us here in verses 1 through 4, that they were foolish and they were fooled. Look at the verses again with me. Let's read verse number 1 of Galatians chapter One, let's read one through five rather quickly. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently set forth, crucified among you, that this only would I learn of you. You received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. How did you receive the Spirit? Was it done for you by, it was by faith. You're listening to me now and you're understanding. So now your faith needs to step out and say, I believe Jesus Christ by faith, not by the works of the law. He's saying in verse number three, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit and now are made perfect by by the flesh? Did you get saved by the spirit and now you're sanctified by the flesh? Absolutely not. You are made perfect only through Jesus Christ and by him. And you are made, that word perfect means complete or mature. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. He, therefore, that ministers to the Spirit and works miracles among you or within you, doth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
How is a person changed? How can there be a guy that's craving alcohol, doesn't want any responsibilities, and how can that individual come to Christ and Christ change him within? It's his spirit, it's the divine nature being planted into the soul of that individual so they can say yes to Jesus and no to the world. And how long are we going to do that? Just for a little while? Perhaps. But I'm telling you, we need to always abound in the spirit. We ought to stay unmovable. We ought to stay steadfast, absolutely, but always abounding in the work of the Lord by abounding in the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that I need to have to be able to strengthen me. And again, sometimes they were led astray. He calls them foolish. So they were fooled, they were charmed. The feeling over fact, they were influenced. It would seem like, I've written in my Bible, the subjective experience must be balanced with the objective evidence. And so it's not just by feeling. You can't be fooled. America is being influenced by charm. This is even evidence, and really it shows the falseness of our culture. They were fickle. If you would. They were foolish, but they were fickle, trying to mix both the law and faith together, and Paul stepped in. They were saying, We go back to the law, and we go back to the flesh. The Bible says, of course, in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Can I share with you that if you're, not, if you're not really careful, you'll have all kinds of vain philosophies. You know what? I, I just really struggle with philosophers. You know, always trying to reason away. I have a hard time with, sometimes with apologetics, if you would. No, apologetics is absolutely necessary. You need to know why you believe what you believe. But I have trouble sometimes when someone wants to debate all their philosophies. When it, you know what? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Help me to live it, God. Amen? It's not try to reason away. They go, well, this is an intellectual age we live in. You've got to have your master's or your PhD to be able to preach the word of God. No, you don't. You need the power of the living God in you. You need his power and his spirit in you to be able to do what he's called you to do. You have no man need of any man teach you. You have the holy unction within you. The spirit of the living God will show you what to do. I need to move on. I'm going to close now. Maybe. There is the helpful reminder, six through nine. Look at 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God, then it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeth that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Look at verse number 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Both the Jews and the Gentiles can be included, if you would, and call him Father Abraham because of faith. So there's the power of the faith. Faith in Christ makes us righteous. The priority of faith, place faith back where it belongs, center. I wanted to just give you 
verses 10 through 12, and I'll just give you the title for it, 10 through 12. The humbling reality, look at 10 through 12. This is the humbling reality. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. Wow. If you're still thinking the law saves you, you're still under a curse. For it is written, curses everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You can't do all of them. So you remain under the curse if you think you can. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Look at verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And then we have the heavenly redeemer, verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So he came to fulfill the law. Watched something recently that was talking about Jesus is the law, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to debate that. But what he's saying here, basically, is that he came to fulfill the law in person. It is complete in Jesus Christ. So we don't need the law, we need Christ. Because he is the only one that can keep the law. It gives us freedom and liberty to know that it's not my own intellectual ability, it's not my earnest passion and faith, I think in myself, but it is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that not only saves me, but sanctifies me and sends me out and strengthens me day by day. It is the power of the Spirit of God. And so as we're abounding in 2023, and that's talking about increasing too, because we are bound, will increase and increase. And as we do in 2023, let us remember to do it always abounding in the Spirit of God. Look what it says in verse number 13 again. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through who? that we might receive the promise of the what? Spirit, capital S, through faith. I'm so thankful it's by faith because I don't have anything. I was going to church this morning all by myself and I was thinking, I got, I got this little, little tire on my truck and thinking, I just hope I make it to church. But I'm reminded God who I am. He already knows. But I said, I am absolutely nothing. I have no talents. I have, no, I have a body and a mouth. And if you could use those this morning, I hope that you would. Use it for his cause and for his kingdom. And that we would glorify only him with our lives and say, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way. Have you said yes to Jesus? Say, well, I've been baptized as a baby. That did nothing for you but got you wet. There needs to be an acknowledgement an acknowledgement in your soul that you are a sinner. For we all sin and come short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of Jesus Christ is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We just had a bunch of gifts yesterday. And many of them were gifts that we made. Because the greatest thing I can give to my children is my time. And if I give them a gift that I made, I'm giving them my time. 
you know what? God gave us a gift. And the gift was his dear son, the only begotten of the Father. Jesus, God incarnate, laid his life down. That free gift was given to us so that we could be saved. And once that time comes where you've trusted Christ, then it's time to say, yes, Lord, it's time for baptism. Now I've trusted you. I'm ready. This morning we have two to baptize. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know what's going on within you. I don't know what's going on within your heart, Brother Alfredo. You can go right in there and get those folks ready if you would for me. But a lot of times we hear sermons like this and we are reminded, oh, dear friend, let me tell you something. There's nothing like being under the preaching of the Word of God. It feeds us. The Word of God feeds us. It's like, it's, it's better than going to Culver's later on. Because we get physical food, but we also need spiritual food. And with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to speak to your heart a little bit this morning before we have an invitation. How are you doing in feeding your spirit? What are you feeding it? Are you feeding it health food? Or are you feeding it food that actually is just junk, just sugar? Your spirit needs to be fed, and the Word of God feeds your spirit. Your faith increases with the Word of God. You can always abound in the Spirit if you feed upon the Word of God. And maybe you as a Christian haven't been reading. You didn't read your Bible last year much. You didn't read it this year much. But maybe God is working in your life, and as a Christian now, you need to say yes to Him. Not only for salvation, but also for growth and spiritual strength. So maybe this morning I'd ask the question, listen closely to what I'm asking. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? If you were to pass away, you'd pull out of this parking lot, here comes a nutcase down the road, and he smashes into your car and kills you, where would you spend eternity? Would it be heaven or would it be hell? How many this morning by lift of hand and say, I've already trusted Christ and I'm on my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand if you're on your way to heaven? I trusted Christ as my Savior. Praise the Lord. But maybe there's some here this morning who say, I don't know what that all means and what that entails. That's what we're here for. We're not here for trying to make money. We're trying to here to help you. And, and maybe this morning you'd say, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. I need to say yes to him. And maybe this morning you'd lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. No one's looking around. But maybe you'd be honest enough to lift your hand and say, would you pray for me? I won't point you. I don't mention you. But I'll pray for you. And say, I am not sure I'm going to heaven. But I would like to know. Anybody like that? Lift up your hand. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. That. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. For your honesty. See, God wants to save you. He brought you here today so that you could hear the truth of his word. His spirit is working in your heart. And when the invitation comes, if you want someone to show you, if you're a man, I'll have a man show you how you can be saved. And if you're a woman, I'll have a woman show you from the word of God how you can be saved. But let me talk to the Christian for just a moment. Dear Christian friend, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you've been away from God. 2022, you were, you were doing okay, pretty good functioning, but you just didn't quite do what God wanted you to do. Well, this is a new year. And maybe 2023, 
you'd like to come and spend time with the Lord Jesus here at the altar, then why don't you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet, no one looking around? If you need to come, whatever the need is in the invitation, whether it's salvation, whether it's just to pray at an old-fashioned altar, whether it's to renew your vows, whether it's to understand a little more about what God wants for you, you can pray, and God will hear you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.